you are listening to the final episode of My Black is Transnational for Season 3. My name is Dr. Kalechi Bay Lambert, and thank you for tuning in. Um, it's been a great season. I just want to, first and foremost, you know, thank you all for your patience and apologize for the gap in between episodes. Um, as you all may know, you know, my wife and I, we are in the process of preparing for our third child in September, and we're, you know, managing our 14, 15-month-old right now in the process. So, you know, life hits you and priorities take place, and just been working through that and among other things. So I've had to focus on my family primarily and some, some of the episodes that I wanted to share and then the topics we wanted to talk about didn't really get to do it the way I wanted to. We were almost done anyway, but a couple episodes that I was going to put in between, fortunately, we're going to shift that until season four. I typically like to commit my summers to my family and spend time with them. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. But I still want to thank you all for, for sticking with us all the way through um, the breakout season, which I've dubbed for, for season three. Um, if this is your first time listening to uh, My Black is Transnational, you can definitely find this podcast on any of your favorite podcast listening apps. I strongly suggest that you take a listen specifically to this season from the beginning. Um, you can find it on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you like to listen to good podcasts. You can definitely find this podcast there. You can also follow us on Instagram at Black Transnational Podcast. You can follow me, the host, on Instagram at Black Transnational underscore. You can check out our website at www.blacktransnational.wixsite.com slash podcast. And then you can also email us at blacktransnational17 at gmail.com. So that's how you reach us. Um, please be sure to rate, review, um, subscribe to the podcast. I'm, I guarantee you'll like what you hear, especially this season. This season has been fantastic with lots of guests, lots of amazing people that have joined. You can definitely check out season one and season two just, just to see the content and, and you'll definitely witness the growth that has happened on this show from day one till now and what's to come beyond. So yeah, I just wanted to put that out there just to share. I always like to be transparent with my listeners and that's what's been going on. But on this episode, we wanted to, I wanted to specifically host what is typically a fan favorite. Um, which is our, our pillow talk conversations, which my wife and I, um, my wife, Dr. Wanda, and I meet and discuss. Just We just talk. We just have a conversation. It gives you all a nice little glimpse of the type of conversations we have in our homes. Um, my wife being a pediatrician, an African-American woman, very um, you know bright, brilliant woman, uh, and, and very active and, and passionate about things in the black community. And myself, you already know who I am, um, you know, being, being an African immigrant, transnational African immigrant, um, being very passionate about things as well from a different perspective, I mean, especially with public health. But um, we, we, we have very interesting conversations, um, but it's also an opportunity for us to just see the love we have for one another and how open we are with it and how we love to express our love for one another, um, you know, regardless of wherever we're at. And the conversations we hold, though, are very bright, very deep very real so the pillow talk is some this is a, is a segment or a special episode of, of my black is transnational that lots of people like to listen to just because it gives us a little bit more of that personal feel similar to the daddy daughter talks but these typically used to happen a lot more frequently in the beginning but obviously due to my wife being pregnant multiple times between 18 months you kind of had to kick you had to pull it back a little bit 
but I wanted to be able to end the season with this, so I was able to to get her comfortable, I was able to get her to find a comfortable seat, feel relaxed. We had some time when the baby was napping, and we were able to have a good good conversation. So we're gonna talk about just her experience, you know, catch you up on what she's been going through in 2020 and 2021, you know, what our hopes are for the future. We recently just celebrated our third year marriage anniversary. A wedding anniversary, I should say. But no, it was, it was a marriage anniversary. We didn't have a wedding. So a marriage anniversary. Um, and, and just discussing what we've learned through our through our course being together and what we look forward to um, continuing to share our lives as partners. So it's, it's a good conversation. Very fun. I, I hope you all enjoy it. I hope you all are, are happy. And I, and I look forward to being able to hold more Pillow Talk conversations in season four, especially with our family continuing to grow. So I thank you all for, for just being listeners and subscribing and for your support and and just for being here from the beginning and i hope y'all are able to enjoy this and and feel you know that this is a nice close and and, and feel optimistic about what's to come moving forward so without any further ado let's wrap this season up here we go welcome to my dad's podcast my blackest challenge national season three you can find us on anywhere you like to listen to good podcasts Follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Hope you enjoy the show. Bye. One look at you and my heart You were the one for me. Welcome to a special season-ending episode of My Black is Transnational. A lot of y'all have been asking for this and been saying that y'all want to hear this. Y'all haven't heard it all season, but we're going to introduce this to end season three, the breakout season. But we have one of our pillow talks, so I have on here today be my special person you already know who this is let's let's not you know but i got my wife on here who's been here frequently in pads but now she's pregnant again for the second time in um, a little bit over a year so i got dr wanda on hello hello happy to be back um you're gonna whole season without hearing my voice so we'll end it with my voice yes yes so i think it's a good way to end it just in a been a little bit of a gap between shows but last time they heard alicia now they get to hear you so i think it's a different way for listeners to be able to um, just kind of wrap this season up with me or with us um but yeah you know so how you been doing good as you said pregnant for the second time uh when you started the season we had a little bitty baby and i was busy with him and now Busy with him and busy growing another one. So I've been busy. <laughs> yeah. And so for those who are listening for the first time to this particular episode, um, what we do in My Black is Transnational, we typically hold a pillow talk episode where my wife and I just have conversation about anything that's on our mind, what's going on in the world, life, love, parenting, whatever the case may be. But it's an opportunity for us to just talk about our transnational experiences, her being African-American, me being African-immigrant, and how our lives 
coincided and how we work in concert to be able to grow a family um, and live a transnational life. So that's just a that's just a little bit of this background for people who are listening for the first time. But yeah, so Jadena's here. Jadena's growing, right? We have a 10-year-old that was on the show last week or last time that we had an episode. And so like, how do you feel knowing that you are about to be a mother of three? God. <laughs> Let me just say, I didn't think I'd be a mom of three. I thought two would be my max. But then when we got to two, I was like, well, a third one, I think I really, really want. So kind of unexpected if you asked Wanda what, maybe even 10 years ago when I had Alicia, I probably wouldn't have said it, but life changes and you have different desires and we definitely have another one that we planned and we want. Um, But I mean, I'm overall feeling good. Um, can't wait till this pregnancy is over. Let's say that. Mm-hmm. When you talked about transnational life, it just made me think about how much we've been in the house this past year. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have a almost 15-month-old that has been nowhere. <laughs> Except for Walmart. <laughs> and he just thinks it's lit. Yeah. There. So, I don't know. I mean, the whole idea of being able to go places, we're just at the point where people are getting vaccinated and things are opening up. So I'm really hopeful that, you know, we can go back to Nigeria and see family again and get them to meet or meet our babies, our mm-hmm. little ones. So, yeah. And I mean, it's it's a girl, right? So we, we're celebrating the fact that we have another girl on the way. So we have two girls and one boy in the middle. God, I'm going to say one thing. Say it. It's a girl, but I wanted another boy. Right. Why? You know why. He doesn't even want to do hair. Ah. <sighs> I do not want to do hair, but let's say we'll just do it. We'll have to do it. I, listen, I've told you what my suggestion was. Yeah, we'll just cut it all off. Cut right? the hair. Cut the hair short. You know, there are lots of nice, stylish, you know, things that you can do with short hair. Beautiful girls can have short hair. So I agree with that. I'm all about fading it out. Give it a little, you know, listen, style I it agree. Out. But I don't think that's the preference I would like. So okay. we shall see. But anyways, I am happy and we are definitely blessed to have a little girl. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so now you mentioned the vaccine and, you know, we haven't gotten to talk at length your experience as a pediatrician, a physician on the front line, you know, working um, clinically with mothers and, and other parents, not just mothers, but parents alike and their children during a pandemic while also being pregnant. So people are getting vaccinated, but we haven't talked to you mostly since, you know, 2020 or throughout the pandemic. What has this pandemic experience been for you? Like, what's it been like now? Well, I mean, I guess you have to separate it into different phases of the pandemic. So when the pandemic was first called in in March, you know, that's when everything kind of closed down. But before then, I was definitely eight, nine nine months pregnant. We had your dinner in March. And I would have people come in the clinic and say, oh, you know, I think it's coronavirus. It's coronavirus. I remember one mother said that to me and I laughed and I said, so we're going to have the first case in New York of coronavirus Mm. (laughs) this early. I was like, "Mm -mm, no, it's not. It's not going to happen. Don't worry about it. I laughed. Sure enough, had your dinner and a week later, the pandemic was called. So in the beginning, I was on maternity leave. So I was like, everybody else watching the news and looking at all the updates, scared to death, not sure if it's airborne, do we have N95s and PPE? And so I took about 12 weeks off from maternity and on my return back, 
I, you know, went back to the clinic and I was like, well, do I have an N95? Do I have PPE? And I did because one of the nurses saved it for me. But it was very scary. It was very scary having a three-month-old and treating patients and, you know, partially not having everything we needed. I remember one incident where um, a child came in for a sick visit, a fever or something, and this was right after I came off maternity. They didn't have masks. Hmm. They didn't have masks, and I was freaked out. Well, I, I was just like, me about that well, what am I supposed to do? So I quickly went in the room, did what I had to do, and quickly went out and just prayed afterwards. Like, that was just the protocol. Of course, I had my N95 and my glasses and my, my gown and everything, so I was protected, but I wasn't maximally protected. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of fear in the beginning. But then as I continued to work, and I wasn't getting sick and, you know, things were okay. The fear started to fade out. And so now we're at the point where I've transitioned jobs and I'm in a new position. And we have a lot of protocols in place where we have sick patients in one area, well patients in another area. And it's just kind of commonplace at this point. You know what you need to do? You go and you treat your patients and you, and you get out, you know? Mm. Most of the people I know that that work in the healthcare field have been vaccinated, so it also gives you a sense of security a little bit. Yeah, and but you also transition between one one gig and the other, like in between gigs, and that working with t- two different demographics, right? Like, yes. did you notice a stark difference? Because one of the things that you know we we see we saw you know throughout these past this past year and a half was you know the the vaccine and just taking addressing coronavirus the pandemic became a political issue that also permeated into you know your workspaces your, your personal spaces we'll talk about family stuff later but like it 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 trickled into other aspects of your life and everyone was affected by it one way or the other whether it was politically whether it was actually because of the health issues related to it or just being around the environment and you actually had to go from one space where you're dealing with a predominantly, you know, underserved communities, and now you're dealing with another community that's primarily middle class, well, well to do. You know, it's, it's a bigger mix, but their beliefs and philosophies and ideals about the coronavirus may have deferred vastly. Am I right or no? Yeah. So um, that's that's really good. So I went from working in a federally qualified health center, and with that comes the desire and the um, mission to treat the underserved and that's those that don't have insurance very little insurance and with that you end up with a population that is you know predominantly minority immigrant and your clients or your patients that come in typically don't follow through Um, they'll come for one appointment and not show up for the follow-up so those are the kind of issues you have and then I transitioned to a private practice and this is a private practice that um, treats uh, patients that have insurance and pretty much the better insurances, not the you know, typical Medicaid type insurances. And those patients, and we don't accept anyone that isn't vaccinated. So our policy from the beginning is if you want to be a patient at this particular clinic, you need to accept childhood immunizations. That doesn't include coronavirus, of course, things that are not required. Mm-hmm. So going from that health center where there were different beliefs about vaccines, and that was acceptable. So I had plenty of patients that thought that um, vaccines that were given were, I don't know, something 
big pharma decided to give people so they can put chips in them or um, the vaccines were designed to make our children infertile as in African-American children infertile. Mm -hmm. So there are lots of different beliefs that people had and they were denied the vaccines. But at the practice on that now, everybody believes in vaccines just based off who we even accept into the practice. So you get a very different population. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a lot of stuff going on. And then now you were pregnant. Now we're trying to manage, you know, our families and our friends and, and our kids and, and one of the things that I always found very interesting is that, you know, being in being the profession, the, the professional that you are in, in, in your field and mine and mine and mine in my respective field, it's still having to deal with, you know, family members, those of our friends and loved ones who still who still just like, yo, like <laughs> ask us about this vaccine and this pandemic and we're trying to share our professional ideas and it's like, nah, y'all not real. Like, so the beliefs I talked about as far as what people believe when it comes to why these vaccines are available, that is prominent in my family. There are members of my family that believe those exact same things. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter that I'm a physician because I've been paid off by big pharma. Right. Like that's where my money comes from. Right. I make up coronavirus diagnoses so I can make more money. Right. That's what I was told. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> and then I was also told that I lie a lot. <laughs> And this is by my own family members. And I try not to take it to heart because all of it is completely untrue. (laughs) I don't make up diagnosis. I don't give people coronavirus. And I definitely am not putting chips in people's arms. (laughs) 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 Maybe you put chips in people's Wow. Okay. (laughs) I, I always, it's just, I'm always dumbfounded by that. Just that idea that like. You all supported us through this journey, whether it's through public health, getting your PhD in that area, or getting your MD, being a getting your specialization as a pediatrician. You receive information from the top, you know, the top professional organizations. You're staying updated with the CDC. You're getting stuff from the American, um, you know, uh, Pediatrics Society. Um, I mean, you know, I'm getting stuff from APHA, right? Like we, I mean, people just over forget i know they know us as wanda and kells whatever the case may be but it's like that forgetting the fact that well, these are legit ass professionals l- listen i don't, know don't take it like that no so i don't take it personally because I mean, okay maybe I it was like it. was you was you in the gym with me when i was shooting like i knew you before you became that doctor and so it's hard for family members to transition their mindset and say oh this isn't just wanda from the block this is dr wanda and they don't necessarily see it that way. But so, when somebody's sick, when somebody's sick and they and they realize that they got a doctor on there they can call, they're going to call you sick. Well, yeah, they do call. So then you can't pick and choose I, when I want to change and look at you as a professional you or know, not. I guess that is what, I guess that's what relatives do. They, and that's the truth, right? They and that's the truth. They pick and choose. And it's not something, again, it's, I think it's just, it's a natural thing, but it's something that I, I try to break family members out of, which is, Yo, you was with me. You saw when I was sitting here. What do you think I was doing when you, I went to school? When did you? What did you think we were? When, especially for me as an African immigrant, like your parents would be like, read your book, read your book, read your book. Go and you know, don't go to school and play. And then when you actually do all those things, and then you decide that you decide you want to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, very well versed in your field area, and you want to share that information with the ones you love, and it's like, what are you doing? 
right? Like, why are you telling me this? Like, I don't need you. Like, I'm going to listen to Joe Smo from YouTube. Dr. CB. Dr. Hey, shout out to Dr. CB. All right, but like, but, but like, you know, just that whole, I'm about to go and look at, you know, this person, this random act, you know, from YouTube and realize that that information, if it sounds good to my ears, then... I think, I but it. in all honesty, I think we're we're kind of in a time where the truth is no longer the truth. Um, that people have decided to only believe what they believe, and only what they believe is the truth. And so, even if, and so, like I've had this conversation with family members where I'm like, I, I I've I've gone to school, I've read about this, I know about this, and then they'll follow up with, but well, where'd you get your information from? What? The research studies, all of that was funded by somebody. The government? Yeah, and the government is out trying to put chips in people's arms. But they're from your tax dollars. So, I mean, this is the government. Do you really trust the government? Look at what they've done in the past to African Americans. They've done experiments on us. They have done all kinds of things without our knowledge. You really think they're not capable? Cultural mistrust is a very big... (laughs) It's a, don't, so I mean, it's easy to flip it. Like they'll absolutely. flip it when you're talking. I'm like, well, that's not what we're. So doing. then, so I mean, then, so then, what did you want us to do? Right? Like the question is, if you're gonna bring up that whole, where do you get your information from? And don't believe. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I'm one of those people too that believe in questioning everything. But if you're going to question that, then you need to go out of your way to actually look into legal sources, reputable sources, because. Yes, white, you can say all these things are predominantly, you know, uh, white supremacy. You can use that all the time, but it becomes a crutch mm-hmm. when you don't understand that we have reached a point now where there are influences from people of color in the things that we do research-wise. Yeah. Like, why am I in this field then? There's so many black people that are in this field of health in particular trying to make a difference for their people. So, yes, there are things that could be shady, but not everything is shady. And you have to at least follow, you can follow the, the, the trail. You can look and go on websites and see these things, but not no Wikipedia. Well, nobody uses Wikipedia anymore. They use Facebook, Facebook groups. That's even worse. <laughs> and Facebook articles. <laughs> That's even worse. You Because my thing is, you have the same people who are saying all those things that are also going on to say, we need to break generational curses. We need to break the generational cycle of being in poverty. We need to be able to now, of course, not respectability politics, but we need to continue to uplift our younger ones so they can be able to thrive and achieve and do things. Mm -hmm. You have people like me in my field where my job is to be able to actually change the way people perceive things by providing proper evidence to show that this ain't that, basically. Mm -hmm. Right? So then why did you encourage me to, I should have just been a barber, my nigga. (laughs) <laughs> like, I mean, seriously, if, if you're going to question, if we're going to yeah. question, you might as well just do nails. Like, you, yeah, might, you know, I, I love some nails. I know. Come but on I'm, now. But I'm saying, right, you might as well just go do nails because if that's the case, like, I should have just gone into doing something regular. If you didn't want me to be able to put myself in the, in the spaces at the table where we can actually create and affect change using the skills, the expertise and the education that we garnered, we gathered through our, our journey in school and now where we're at professionally 
you should be able to give us a little bit more credit. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. The information that we get, sure, is questionable, but there are people now who can kind of serve as as filters, who can kind of properly comb through that information and say, no, before it goes out to the people, let's change that now before it actually do- does, da- does damage. You know, and that's the part that I feel our family members don't understand is that, that we get the information, but we actually do have maybe not the strongest voices yet, but we have a little bit more of an influence to be able to challenge these false notions that used to be put out there and say, no, that's not right. Okay. Got all these other professionals out here on CNN and MSNBC, all these people who are skilled in what they do, who go out and challenge these notions. So you can't just be like, oh, big farmers pain. Like, not everything's corrupt, but people going to believe what they want to believe. And that's going back to your point, which is the truth. What truth? Right, exactly. it's, it's no longer the truth. It's my truth, right? And or, or your my truth versus your truth, and not the truth. Mm-hmm. And that's problematic because younger younger kids growing up now, what's truth is supposed to be constant, but when it's your truth versus my truth, it becomes two different philosophies that continue to just collide but yeah. and butt heads, and that mm-hmm. that can lead to, you know, that can lead to so many. So much more conflict, so much more disagreement, uh, which, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's annoying. I'll tell you, I'll just put it like that without going on another guy's track. But I'm, I'm going to say one great thing is that I have a family member that was adamantly opposed to getting the coronavirus vaccine. And I convinced her to get it by talking about personal stuff, family, holding babies. And that was one thing that really got to her, even though... She believes that it's a chip that's going to be put in us or that um, it's designed. Actually, what she said was, um, you can schedule the appointment, but once they see my black skin, they're going to switch the needle Mm. and give me the black shot. That stuff is deeply rooted, man. Yes, yes. And so, you know, I I can't say that it's not valid because Mm -hmm. if you ever need to read a book, Medical Apartheid will detail all the atrocities done in research to African-American people since slavery on until mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. um so those beliefs are valid but how do you get around them and so you know talking about not infecting it's a hard. baby with coronavirus and, and putting them in the hospital was something that was effective it's hard though because you just kind of you just laid out the found you just painted the picture right you you go out there and you try to give your family member anecdotes, you try mm-hmm. to give them examples to show that it's going to be all right, right? Now, they say, again, if you want to be able to be the one to kind of change opinions, you go out to the front and you be the one that actually does it. But then the, the skepticism uh-huh. Uh-huh. Is, is cancerous, right? Because the skepticism is if you go out there as a physician and you try to educate us about what's happening in our children and and how to vaccinate them and what you know the pros and cons are and all those things you still have that person who's like well who's paying you you're a doctor doctors get paid right like you can plant that seed of doubt anywhere so it's like well shit like why should i believe what you're saying because it could be just this company that's paying you to say that it could be pfizer that's paying you and to I, say that. and i won't lie i have had people say that to me <laughs> That you getting paid, and I look at them like they got three heads. Like, really? I mean, I, I get paid because we submit bills to insurance, and then sometimes we don't even submit bills to insurance. We actually ask you to pay me for my services right away. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, 
it just it's just one of those things where, like you said, you you try to give them the knowledge. And with this particular family member, I did multiple approaches. Mm. So my approach number one was everything's fine. I, I sit on I sit on a communications committee for um, Black Physicians Network in the area, and we did this whole literature review and search about the mRNA vaccines with Moderna and Pfizer, and we put out a statement and everything. So. I approached the family member and said, it is safe, blah, 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 my medical knowledge, da, da, da. Didn't work, okay? Mm. So then it comes time to get vaccinated, and I actually offer up myself as a pregnant woman, and I got vaccinated. Both vaccines. I was a little sick after the second one, but I was fine. I tell that family member, hey, I got it, and I was fine. I got a little bit sick. Didn't work. Didn't work. And so even though I have all of this knowledge that I try to relay, it wasn't until I tugged at the heartstrings and actually did my personal, personal story and something that she would definitely relate to that she was actually able. So the whole MD and the being a doctor thing and that knowledge did not do anything mm. to break those conspiracies. And so sometimes I think it's exactly what you said as in how do you invoke change as a person of color, as someone that has this skill, is that you get that knowledge and you find a way to interpret it you find a way to communicate it mm-hmm. in ways that that community can actually understand it and pick it up and actually follow that message. Yeah. We have to, I mean, I think as we as a black community, we have to continue to to find ways in our own ways to be able to create change and influence our fellow family, friends, you know, our brothers and sisters who we do or don't know. We have to be able to find better ways in, in being able to educate them, influence them, raise awareness, but also get them to to engage and buy into the things that will actually help them, right? And But like we talked about, and I don't want to talk about it ad nauseum, but I mean, the historical aspect is a big part, right? It's a major part that that affects and 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 kind of catalyzes that the growth and spread of that seed of doubt that I allude to. So I don't know, but I know that you know we're we're vaccinated and we we're okay and things are getting better. Um, it is unfortunate that you know these guidelines came out and just kind of made things a little bit hazy. For Which people, guidelines? the CDC guidelines that came out about their masks about and masks stuff. people? Yeah. I mean, vaccinated people. Vaccinated people taking off their masks and stuff. I mean, I think it just it just wasn't a good look. Um, I, and I do think that, you know, it, it does speak to who you're really looking out for. Because if they, they pretty much were just waiting for all the white people to get to that point and then say, oh, you take your mask off now. But black people aren't really getting vaccinated to that same rate. So when you realize that black people, it, 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 if if black people were at, you know, a certain number, um, I, I don't think this back this guideline would have really really came out. But I think once a certain group of people finally got to a certain number that was to the liking, it's like, oh yeah, everybody take your mask off right now, and it well, just puts everyone else at risk. I don't know if that was the idea. I think the idea was more of creating some type of incentive for people to get vaccinated. So we aren't where we need to be, right? I think they said, I saw 50% of Americans have had at least one vaccine or one shot, right? And so that's definitely not herd immunity. Um, That's Mm -hmm. not where we need to be. And I think 
at the point when they released the guidelines, the numbers were going down for vaccinations. Mm. And at that point, a lot of people were saying, well, what's the point of getting vaccinated? If you still have to wear a mask, you can't do this, you can't do that. It's like you never got vaccinated. So in order to incentivize people to get vaccinated, they say, hey, take your mask off. You're good. You can take your mask off here. You can take your mask off there, which I, I mean, I think there are some unintended consequences of that, like mm. me and your situation where we have children that have not been vaccinated, but both of us have been vaccinated. We can go without our masks. Should we let our children go without masks? I mean, it's just kind of, it, it becomes kind of hazy. And that's one of those things where I don't know if they thought about it or just said, hey, we're just going to deal with it. But it becomes confusing because when we go to Walmart and, and Home Depot, you see all these people without masks. And yes, you're vaccinated, but I got my kids over here and they're not vaccinated. So I don't know how we should interact with one another but I, I do i mean and that's true in regards to the incentivization of it i do think that there is and i don't want to i don't necessarily say it's intentional i'm not going to necessarily say it's intentional but i do think there is a certain level of oversight or negligence that comes into it that further creates and enhances the disparities that exist between one group and the other i'm just gonna say one thing what when have they made rules or or the directives, initiatives that positively impacted black people? Exactly. So what were you expecting? Um, then to wait until there was 90% of the African-American race vaccinated? You know, that's a good question. Actually, no. I wasn't expecting anything necessarily directed with with black people in mind. But I did think there would be a little bit more of a social justice inclusivity aspect of it for all. Why? Because of the year with George Floyd and we can trans and we can transition to that in a little bit. But yes, because of the momentum of that year, there seemed to be this quote quote this wokeness of sorts that has been, you know, captured by everyone across the nation, if not the world, and and obviously that was kicked off by George Floyd. So what I'm just saying is, but look at what. violence 
and there's been executive actions, there's been national task force, there's been so many things to stop this hate, which I agree with, and mm -hmm. I think it's absolutely necessary. But when you look at the African-American community, we've been lynched <laughs> for, for, for over 400 years. We've been doing, we, everybody has done all kinds of things to us, and we still can't get an anti-lynching law passed in Congress. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that right there just kind of tells you where we are in the grand scheme of things. I mean, it just seals the deal for me. So I don't expect anything for. I don't expect anything on my behalf. And and that's that's the shame, right? That's the sad part. Again, because now what's gonna happen is we get into we're gonna get into this whole thing where it becomes this oppression Olympics, right? It's like well, my my struggle is tougher than your struggle. And look at the Asian and ink violence. Isn't that more important than you know what's going on with Black Lives Matters? And you know, no, and, and it's, it should not be the oppression Olympics. It shouldn't be that situation. We are happy as black people, and we should be happy as black people and the black community that the Asian American hate issue is being addressed. But it still does beg the question that there was nobody contesting that, right? No, no. one contested mm -hmm. the fact that Asian hate needed to stop. Everybody rallied around that. But as you know, as uh, Michael J. White brought up very well. When black people call for protecting your lives, why is there an argument? Black lives matter. Why right? is there an insist why is there an insistence that it must be countered with something? Right? And and that's the part that bothers so many of us all across the world. We've dealt with this in so many ways, shapes, and forms, right? Just why is it that when black people like us, when we decide to say anything, there always has to be some pushback in anything in anything and go if any black person go out and say anything there's going to be somebody saying the opposite and it's not one of those oh well there's always an, an action a reaction to an action or a counter a, a minus to a plus like it's not one of those right it's just when we talk about trying to improve our lives why is there so much resistance to our resistance to oppression mm -hmm. right and again that whole idea of tone policing we deal with that so much that we don't even un we don't even realize that when people are trying to tell us how we should talk to them in order to be heard, even though we are getting killed, we're getting lynched, we're getting yeah. abused, and, and and this is something again, African immigrant or not, this is happening worldwide to Black people all over. We had um, I had the, the 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 guest on the show from from London sharing the same thing. That's happening in in London. Not maybe not the increase in violence, but the increase in 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 microaggression and even macroaggression and even just overt racism in Actually, different parts an of the world. that was either in the UK or London that just got shot in the head, right after multi. Yeah, I saw something about that yesterday. Really? Yeah. I, yeah, I'm not even up there to. There's an actual activist. I don't think she's part of BLM, but kind of on the same. And uh, yeah. See, so it's it's a, these are things that we have to deal with. So now we have kids, you know, we have kids that are being exposed to this and, and are going to be exposed to this. And I don't know what the world will look like when Jadena is old enough to be aware of it, when he actually gets his first lesson of what he is, which is a young black boy in America. Right. Or even being a young black, you know, a second generation African immigrant like it just. Or I mean, half in America, half. that whole immigrant thing don't matter right now. It's just it don't. based on what you look like. Exactly, right? So, like, it doesn't matter. and But he's going to be exposed to it at some point. Alicia's going to be exposed to it heavily 
at well, some she's point. already exposed. But I'm saying heavily, like she's gonna go deeper into it. She actually feels the effects of it as a young black girl that we need to protect, right? And all of us need to protect. So you know, the George Floyd thing, you can definitely share your thoughts about that the, the whole year, you know, that that had passed and what that whole up and down thing was. A roller coaster was for you. I know it was for us, but what was it like for you that you want to share with the, with the listeners? I mean, what sticks out in my head is we had just had a newborn when it happened. I mean, Jadena was probably two or three weeks old. And I just remember multiple times sitting there breastfeeding, him laying on me and just saying, when are you going to become a threat? Mm. Or when are they going to see you as a threat? Mm. I said, you are an innocent young man. <laughs> But you're a black man nonetheless. When do I start talking to you about this? When do I start preparing you for um, what life is going to be like as a black man? And, and, and I mean, I haven't come to a consensus. We haven't come to a consensus. But we know it's, it's definitely the talk and it's the conversation we need to have. But as a newborn, I never thought I'd be thinking about that. I never thought I would. But that's, that's the most prominent thing. That was in my head and just the sadness of, of being a new mom and just saying, are you going to cry for me mm. <laughs> if somebody tries to kill you? Mm. Where am I going to be? <sighs> and then I, 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 I just constantly remember what my dad tells me all the time is that when he was growing up and he was in um, Prattville, Alabama, which is not too far from Montgomery during the 50s and 60s. And his mama told him, boy, if you get out there. And them white people get you. Ain't nothing I can do. I can't save you. I can't do nothing. So you're on your own. And I was like, I'm going to have to have that conversation with my son at some point and tell him. You get out there. Something happens. Somebody gets you the cops. I'm sorry. I can't I can't help you. And you're hopeless. You feel hopeless as a parent to actually say that. That is, that is. You feel hopeless, that's right? Heart, that's heartbreaking, babe. Like. And I'm not saying it is wrong. It's just heartbreaking. But it's the truth. No, As no. an African-American person in the, in America, what can I do? Just like those people that filmed George Floyd dying and stood there on that stand at the trial crying about what they thought, what they should have done, what they could have done. In the moment, they couldn't do anything. That's, that's just... Because that's how the system is designed. Yeah, it's heartbreaking because it's a, it's a cold reality to be able to say, I can't help you. You're a parent. I just, I can't, I can't accept it, even though I know I have no choice, right? Like, I just can't sit and be like, man, like if something happens, I just to let someone put their knee on my child's neck and I'm there and I, like, that's. So it's one thing to be in the moment, right? What I'm telling you is if you're out there and I'm not with you, right. I can't help you. That's what you need to grow up knowing so that as you conduct your life, that you know that you need to make sure you take care of yourself. Now, as a mother, I am not going to sit there and let my kid die. Mm. You're going to have to kill me in the process if you're trying to kill my kid for something. And I'm, I'm there. Right. Mm -hmm. But your child is a protection mechanism. Your child needs to know that when I go out there in the street, I need to be able to take care of myself and conduct myself in a way in which I can handle it. And it was never, it was never, I never had that talk from my parents. Right? Like my mom never told me that. And that's just the African immigrant perspective where we not at that time, maybe nowadays you are, but back then 
we're not thinking about race, right? We're not, we're just thinking about migrating and being here and being fine. My threat for me, and I talked about this when we have our grown up immigrant episodes, was like, the threat for me was not messing up so I don't get deported. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? Like, so I don't end up being sent back to Nigeria, you know, and miss out on all the opportunities I have in order to enhance my life. And, and not to say things were bad, but it was so much easier to transition from one, one level to the other in America. And it was like, okay, no one was like, oh, yeah, you're a black boy in America. Like, be careful out there. It was like, you, one of my mom was like, Kelly, if you mess up, that's it for you in America. That's it. So there was no consequence of death. There was right? no, no one was thinking. You were thinking, thinking I would you die. I'm not thinking about dying. Like I just think for me, anything. So that's like, been prominent my whole life. I know. That's, that's that's what my that's what my grandmother meant when she said that to my father, and that's what my father meant when he said it to me. Is that they can kill you, string you up, and there's nothing I can do about exactly. it. Exactly. I never thought about that. Right. And that's the perspective, you know, that I have that that that, dif- that differentiates us is that. Growing up, I never thought I would die at the hands of the cops. I just figured I would get arrested. Maybe I'd get slapped, beat up, or whatever, like whatever. But I never thought I would die, right? Like it was just like but my biggest my my biggest fear was just coming home and then getting into that trouble of getting sent back. And then now it's it's completely different. You know what I mean? Now it's like, dude, you know, like I talked about my situation when I got stopped by the cops last uh, last time when I got stopped and I didn't. To me, I was just like I would have never thought like, yo, there's a possibility like my life would end. Now, like when I'm driving, if I see a cop pull up, I'm like, this might be the end. This is how the season ends for me. This is the finale. I don't know what's gonna happen, and that's that in itself is terrifying. Yeah, yeah. But you were gonna say, I forgot. Oh, pregnancy brain. <laughs> 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 oh, I should. Yeah, you know, and so I, I don't know, babe. I think. Oh, I know what I was oh, going to say. Okay. All right, we're back. So I was going to say um, not only is it growing up with a fear of the police lynching you or getting you, but there are lynch mobs. That too. And there, are, and I mean, it, it's just this whole racial dynamic that America was built on is that there are white people that get into mobs and decide that they're going to kill you. They're going to do something. And that was very prominent in the South when my dad was growing up. Mm. And so that's something that has been passed down over and over again is that if a group of white people decide they want to do something to you, there's nothing you can do about it. it. Doesn't it doesn't it shake you to realize that we still have people in our family, yours more than mine, but we still know people who grew up at a time but you can see black bodies swinging from a tree. That strange fruit. Yeah. You know, like you, you can, that we still, I mean, we, and it's not that, it's not that far off for them in their memories that they can still, you know, recall that and relive through that. Listen, and it wasn't that long ago for them. My dad has a really good memory. I don't have as good a memory as he has, but I think he got a friend named Buttercup maybe when he was younger. That passed away during that time that he'll talk about. So, I mean, yes, we are very, very close to 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 when things like that were very, very prominent. And that means we aren't far away from it either. Those same people that were lynching folks in the 60s mm-hmm. may still be alive still today. Here. They're still here. They're yeah. still here. And I so I, everything I, cool. I honestly do think sometimes, and I'm just like, hmm, was your grandfather one of those people? Right. 
Was your grandmother one of those people? Because nowadays... You're talking about to your white colleagues or the white people that you know. To Yeah, to some white people that I know. Okay. Um, but no, we think about it now and we say, hmm, I think our life might be defined in who you voted for in 2016. And then we say who you voted for in 2020. Right. What were you doing during the, the Black um, Lives Movement? Were you actually an activist? Were you sitting at home? And during their time, it was that civil rights movement. What were you doing at that time? Were you part of the lynch mobs? Were you part of the people that were calling uh, Ruby Bridges a nigger and all of this stuff just because she's trying to go to school? Like, where were you? And I do think about that when I see some of my colleagues. It's hard. Your grandparents, where were they? Where were they? What were they saying? And of course, you know, you can't... It's not necessarily to say that we are trying to have those people pay for the sins of their oh, parents no. and grandparents. Not but it's all. still like, don't pretend like you're far removed from it, right? Don't pretend that you don't have any association to it. You may not be racist, but you have a connection some way, shape, or form to acts of racial violence. And that in itself, you have to take responsibility for and acknowledge maybe not take responsibility but you definitely need to acknowledge that you have some ties to this that you're not just brand new and innocent to what happened to black people just because you weren't physically there but you know people who were you know people who were going to them schools you know people who were okay with the bombing you know what i'm saying like the and, and the four girls getting killed you know people who are okay with Martin Luther King getting killed like you know people who are down with it and they're your they're at your family reunion they're still or talking not down with it you know people that may have been activists sure sure right now i don't believe that but <laughs> on, of course i mean of course of course they're there it took it took a collective effort you know um, black black brown white people to to make the civil rights movement happen i'm not i don't want to discredit that at all but the point still remains that you have to recognize and acknowledge that you're, you, if you're a white person, you have some ties to it and you're not completely exonerated nor completely, you know, just new and new. You can't just be neutral to this. Right? There Do you is remember when we were in this like post-racial racial society in the 2000s, early 2000s? When race didn't exist? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't look at color anymore. What is that? I don't but think about who the anymore. people that dictate that shit, right? Like, like it wasn't me because I couldn't hide my blackness. Again, that's the tone policing, right? I I when you can sit here and choose to be culturally and colorblind, that shows that shows a different level of supremacy and control and manipulation. And I'm not trying to sit here and put on my kente hat. I'm not on that. You know what I'm saying? But I'm just saying that. We don't, we've still never had the voice to tell you what is what and let that thing be and let it, let it circulate to the point where it becomes other than, you know, things for the people, by the people, fool. Um, but <laughs> things that are like that, that are for black people and by black people, it only stays with us. But as far as this whole not seeing color and all those things, you know, it, it's always been the louder majority that had the influence, the, the supremacy factor that really create those types of things. And that in itself, as Dr. Kendi would say, a racist idea. is <laughs> <laughs> a racist idea. Um, but yeah, so okay, you know, we, we, we definitely spent a lot of time talking, but I want us to wrap this up. Um, and we didn't necessarily talk about what's happening in Palestine and Israel. We'll, we'll figure that out another Ceasefire time. Ceasefire now, so... 
it's important. Those things, if you're a black, you definitely need to still understand what's happening there. Don't think that because it ain't our like that's again, let's not fall into that racial that race Olympic thing. Like let's oppression Olympics thing. Like let's not do that. Right? Like, we have to be able to speak for justice and racism and and imperialism in all over the world if we really want to be able to get where we want to go um, as a people. But I do want us to kind of close things out, at least this this conversation, by just talking about us, right? And, and you know, we just recently celebrated our third year wedding anniversary. Um, looking forward to, you know, the having an actual celebration of our of our marriage two years from now with our friends and families when we do a, a vow renewal of sorts, hopefully. Um, but yeah, so three years in, are you tired of me yet? Sometimes. <laughs> Not as tired of you as I am of this pregnancy right now, okay. but... <laughs> I mean, I can take that. I mean, listen, I mean, but it's starting to, it's starting to, it's starting to kind of increase. First it was like, no, I'm not tired. And year two was like, no, I'm not tired. And now it's like, maybe. And then maybe like next year, it's like, I'm sick of you. So there's slowly, there's progress. Well, you know, what can I say? I'm, I'm not super tired of you, but, you know, I love you. I love everything that we do and all our time together. And um, this past year, we've just been able to be with each other more with you being at home and me going down to part time. We just got to spend more time together. So I, I actually am enjoying this time and I'm enjoying our life together. So far, what have you learned about our marriage not every year, three years in? That we are the people we came in being. Mm -hmm. That we, we didn't put on a facade. We didn't, you know, blindfold our one another or anything like that. That we are who we say we are. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that is, that's probably the most important thing. Because you, you see marriages where people get together and, you know, the girl got on a face full of makeup and a waist trainer. And then she take it off and you're like, wait, who are you? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, the guy saying, I got money, I got houses, da 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 And you're like, wait, what? You don't have any of this stuff? So we, we were who we said we were. And we are consistent. And that's, I think, is making us successful at this point. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I definitely think that we both prided ourselves on, on being consistent with who we were and coming into this marriage, acknowledging that nothing should change dramatically. I mean, I think the growth that we go through should be the natural organic change that would happen, the change in our environment, having kids and all these things. I mean, we've learned a lot about each other throughout this time, but I do think that we changed, but not changed because we surprised, you know, surprised ourselves and took off the mask. There is no mask. And we've been able to be able, we've been able to, to weather storms and deal with the, occasional disagreements and conflict resolution has been one of our strengths um which i think has helped us because if we know who we are if we've been consistent with who we've been all throughout this relationship and all throughout our interactions together it's easy to resolve conflicts and go back to what we know works what's our fundamentals what are our strengths what are our weaknesses what do we need to you know, what do we need to do? What do we need to put aside in order to be able to to overcome whatever conflict it is? And it's not always easy. It's never always easy. But I think we both still value each other enough to know that we're both worth it. 
And that the, that's to me is what I've learned is that we still to this point, yeah, we're three years and I still see all these, I see these, these couples who have been together for 50 and, and I realize that some can fake it till they make it, but most know who their partners are mm-hmm. and see them as a partner. They don't see them as a commodity. The commodity aspect of it is a bonus. You see them as a person, uh, an individual, uh, a, a, a partner, a friend. You see them as all these things that that add to your life um, and enhance it, and then and then and then utilize it, and also be of service, vice versa. Right? It's it's not a, just a selfish perception. It has to be selfish and selfless at the same time. And that's the symbiotic relationship that I think we both have. Um, and I'm grateful for it. I'm definitely grateful for it. Um, so what do you look forward to? Well, I want to say one thing okay. before I say what I look forward to. Uh, we were talking about how we haven't changed, but you have definitely changed. Damn, nigga, I ain't changed. Yes, you have. <laughs> so when we got change. together, you were like, you know, you kept your house clean and you were a flashy dresser. So I'm a dirty, I'm a dirty person now? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just talking. About and you were like a flashy dresser, and I'm you still had your fly. BMW, you know, just out here, you know, stunning on them. Two BMWs, stunning on them, yeah. Flexing on these. Now, people. let's just say you mow the grass. <laughs> <laughs> you buy stuff for the house. You decorate really well. Thank you. Thank and, you for um, acknowledging my interior design. Yeah, you decorate really well, and and you look nice when you want to look nice, but most of the time you want to be comfortable. Yeah, you know, and yeah. so you're just comfortable when you drive your Lexus SUV, and and, and there you go. And you so know, you know, one of you the, become a family man. I love it. This is everything, and you know the crazy thing about it, babe, is that you may not believe it, but this is everything that I dreamed of being. Right, like this is why when we talk about getting together, and we say, okay, well, I love you because you see me for my ideal self and who I envision myself being, and yes, professionally and reaching my goals, that's cool. But this is also part of that, right? Like, I can't always, I mean, that that whole part of me was when I was younger and by myself, but I've always wanted to be a family man. Anyone who knows me knows that this is comfortable for me, right? Like, I, I enjoy just being at the crib. I'm a homebody, being at home, watching the game. Like, you have to force me to go out. <laughs> like, go out and hang out with your yeah. friends. Like, it's to the point where my wife is like, even though she's right here, she's she'll be like, stay as long as you like. <laughs> like have a good time. <laughs> I'd be like, y'all ready to come home in like an hour and a half. And, you know, and of course, that's also adds to the fact that majority of my close friends are in Chicago. I'm not in Chicago. I miss my friends. But when I do get to Chicago, we have a good time and it's not a problem. But when I'm here, I'm chilling. You know what I mean? And, and I mow the grass. I love landscaping stuff. You know, I, I, I'm obsessive about how green my grass is. Um, and I just do all the things. I traded in my BMW for a nice little family SUV that's manageable and not expensive on maintenance. Like, you start thinking about all those little things. And I don't know if I've necessarily changed, but I think this is... I'm settled. I'm comfortable. I, I get to just... I can be able to... You know, I don't have to do all of that at this point. My life doesn't call for that anymore. I mean, but even when we were, you know, dating, I was always still a homebody. Things people would come to kick it with me at my crib, right? But I was always at home. Um, but this is the whole part of that selfless, selfish thing where I was 
selfless enough where I knew that this BMW, it it costs a lot more to maintain and that money could be used for something more beneficial. Most importantly, I didn't want to have a BMW or a car that looked good but didn't always drive you know, well and had maintenance issues. And then I got a baby in a car and I'm driving to work or I'm driving somewhere. We're stranded in this snow heavy, this, you know, very cold snow filled city. Right. So it was just, it was just so many of those things that we had to take into consideration. But um, yeah. So what do you look forward to? The future. I look forward to more happy times with you. I really look forward to traveling again. Yeah. Going to Nigeria with both of the new babies and Alicia and just having a, a wonderful family experience. Yeah. I, I'm excited for I'm excited for this baby girl to come. I'm excited for us to do all the family stuff. I'm excited for the family vacations. I'm excited to go to Nigeria with a full you know, with a full house of sorts. Uh, I'm excited to just be able to watch you know, Jadena and this baby girl interact and, and the role Alicia will play as, you know, the biggest sister, you know, like being 10, 9, 10 years older than her siblings and seeing how she goes about growing into her role and responsibilities. So, I mean, it's fun. Um, and I'm glad that I have you in my life to be able to share that with. I don't think there's anyone else that I would rather share this life with um, and imagine life to go as smoothly I've said it before when we first got together, and I say it again. I mean, you bring peace into my life. I live a peaceful life because of you. I really do. You always gave me peace of mind, and you continue life, to do that. Life. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, and I and I, I and I'm grateful. So I love you. Aww, um, I love you too. Three years and infinity to go, um, and I and I hope that we continue to serve as a good model of what love is and what sharing your life is what it is to negotiate and share amicably a life together with someone for our children. I hope that we can serve as a model for our children and they can look at us and say, yo, this is what love is. This is what marriage is. And this is what we want to do. This is what we expect from our partners. And when we get into it, and this is how we want to communicate and all these other things. So yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah thanks. Thanks babe for, for taking the time to, to join Oh, you know I'm to busy. jump on the show. I know you're busy. So you this was this is a great way to just kind of wrap <laughs> things up for the season. Um, you know, but but I thank you. I appreciate it. And oh. you know, we'll 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 do some we'll do some other wrapping up stuff later. But go ahead and tell you tell the people what's up and tell them goodbye. Ah, I enjoy it. Every time I come on the podcast and we have a conversation, I just get to be myself and I enjoy talking to you. I enjoy talking to the people. Um Hey, I'm just sitting here. I said I'm busy, but really I'm not. <laughs> I really just fall asleep all the time now. <laughs> That's her being busy. That's her being busy. And, she's and I wake up with back pain. <laughs> no, yeah, you know, but, but yeah, you, it, watching you twice. And and now, what I have to say this before we leave, you know, it was worth that, especially with Jadena, that, that first journey doing it with you, not the baby making, but the actual... <laughs> growing with you physically like the baby gaining weight with you eating with you doing doing all those things i enjoyed it now would i do it again probably not obviously not because you're not doing it this i'm time. not doing it this time it was it just that the comeback was whew. but um i enjoyed that process because i promise i remember promise making that promise to you mm -hmm. but being able to do that with you and then watch you grow jadena and deliver him and all those it just 
I mean, of course, I, I don't know how much more I could love you, but it just made me love you 10 times even more. And even going through this process again now is just, I mean, there's there's no one, there's no one like you. Yeah. So thanks for joining and we will wrap it up. Thank you. All right. That's it. This is, this is the moment. This is the end. We finally reached the conclusion of that episode, but also we've reached the conclusion of season three of My Black is Transnational. This is it. We've, we've done it. We've made a whole season. We've broken out. We're here. We're here to stay. Um, you know, we're here to make moves and, and, and really, really speak to the transnational life and the impact of transnationalism that's happening um, and that can happen to us, that is happening to us, and will continue to happen to not just us, but our future, our children, our, our, our successors and future generations. This season was important to me um, because this was a season where I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go and, and, and really make, the, make it known that My Black and Transnational is a podcast that's here to stay. And, and we, we were worth listening to and we were worth providing the substance that will matter to you, if not now, definitely later. Um, really wanted to put it out there because you know the first time it's like okay, let's see if this is just a hobby. The second time is like all right, you know we we're getting our stride, we're getting our feet wet, but is this really real? Um, but this is the season where we said, hey, look, this is it. We're here. I'm here. I'm gonna do it. We're gonna do it well, and I think we really did it well. So, you know, if you've made it this far, you're a real one, and I we appreciate your support. Doing this podcast is, is not a large team. <laughs> it's primarily me and my wife and, you know, some other some other friends and, and, and close, you know, people who help provide feedback. But typically it's just me running things. But I always say we and I've always said we since day one because it takes a village. And in, in this case, you know, we've, we've come so far. We've grown so much. And I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful to, you know, my, my, my close ones. And I always want to take this moment at the end of the season to just give my shout outs, you know, special shout out to first and foremost, just thanking God for giving me the opportunity to do what I love on a daily basis. It sounds, you know, now I'm here that I actually think about it. It's like, okay, well, it's, it's, it's corny. Everybody always says I want to think about it. It's true. It's true. Like, I, I want to thank God. I mean, I think about it when I get on this mic and I'm talking. I'm like, yo, like, God has blessed me with the ability to be able to orate. To be able to like express and articulate my passion and, and be able to have people that I'm blessed to be able to have a social network and the ability to have some some value and some capital to be able to interact and bring amazing people on this show and, and have them speak their truth and share their passion and share it so well that it impacts lives and people want to get to know other people and people get to network behind the scenes and they email me and say, yo, I want to meet this person. They were so dope. And and that's what it's about, just meeting new people that I've never met before and being able to hopefully establish an association with them or a relationship with them, whatever the case may be. Um, but I've had some amazing people on this show from episode two on. I mean, special shout out to NFL player and now author Sam Acho for joining the show. Um, a special shout out to Mr. Timmy Tayo Adeo Shifagun for jumping on not just this one show, but multiple shows, especially a grown up immigrant segment. Um, also, Mrs. Vanessa Adebayo from the Mental Health Matters, Africa Mental Health Matters, Dr. Chinirio Suji, of course, Dr. Chi. Um, man, Miss Alejandra, special shout out to you for jumping on the grown up immigrant show. Leslie Guam, she was another returning guest on the grown up immigrant show. 
doing big things over there in LA. Marilyn Adibu, a Ghanaian sister over there um, in Chicago. Special shout out to you, Brother Kujo L. Um, man, who spoke real deep information about the Moors and, and very important things. My brother Os- Osagifo Esoen from the, you know, Make Africa Home Again, the Aquaba experience. I'm looking forward to working with you in the future. My, 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 um, Dr. Msia Kibona Clark, who I call sis. I, you know, interacting with her was such a joy. I look forward to seeing all the great things she's doing. Check her out over there. The Africa hip hop show that she got, the podcast she got going is really dope. They got good people over there from all over Africa who are talking about real hip hop. Um, my sis Ashley Simpson, who's also a big fan of the show, who's always listening. My number one, one of my number one listeners on the show, Dr. Tomi Ademokun, who is my big sis right there. The Wellness and Wahala podcast. Check her out doing amazing things over there, man. It's, it's great things. I love her. I'm a big fan of her as well. My man Francis Castillo, who joined us authoring his own book. He's working on the second book now. My bro Damian Azibuque. From a bed, train me doing great things. My sister Yuka Rufai, who came in talking about weight loss, but also mental, spiritual, holistic health, and doing all these things. I'm super proud of her, my classmate. So good to see you doing very well. My man Dre Sconey doing big things in Detroit, Detroit's finest. Um, really, really came on the show and really brought a perspective that a lot of us don't really share, especially from the African American side. And, and just being a musician as well and talking about toxic masculinity and being an R&B singer, which is dope. Um, my newly adopted auntie, Mrs. Kemi Siriki, doing a great, great job with the Pansa Pansa conversation. I look forward to com- just collaborating with you off the air, doing a lot of things in the community. It's going to be really, really dope. Um, my sis, Dr. Abiodun. Yes, Dr. Abiodun Durajaya. She was newly, newly passed, newly finished. Um, on completing her dissertation, so proud, did a great job. Um, we talked about her research as far as the power of a name and, and just what a name does as far as how we perceive ourselves in the professional realm. It's so amazing. And last but not least, special shout out to Mrs. Neo Lukutu, who's doing great things across the ocean in London with the Afro Kids Club, who's going to be bri- bridging that gap real soon and, and bringing the Afro Kids Club to the United States as well, being able to make sure that we have our children, be able to preserve and, and reserve our our culture, but also being able to understand the importance of cultural competency and being able to recognize and be proud of their blackness and, and be able to use that to be able to strengthen the, the, the pride they have in their identity to be able to help cultivate and mold who they're going to be, not, not just now, but in the future. So, I mean, I just went through all that. It's an amazing list of guests, 19 to 20 episodes worth of just substance, <laughs> just pure, rich unfiltered substance amazing um and and i can't go without giving a special shout out to my wife you know dr wanda who was just on the show but she's always been just my backbone you know my supporter my rock um special shout out to my brother toby he's always listening always calling always sharing ideas always giving me feedback i, I love always having the conversations we have on and off the air mostly off the air um about being on the air uh so you know, my kids, Alicia, Jadena, baby girl that's yet to be named. By the time you jump on next season, you'll be able to hear her as well. I mean, my, my, my family members, parents, you know, my friends, my, my good, consistent number one listeners who hit me up and share feedback with me. You know, Ashley, Dr. Tiffany. I mean, you know, my boy Trey. I mean, there's so many people. My best friends, you know, uh, my best friend, April, Candace, Jessica, 
you know, my bros, Hamid, Jay Fash. I mean, all my peoples over there who support, who retweet, who reshare the podcast. Just special love to you guys. Thank you all for being avid supporters of the show. You all mean a lot to me. Um, and I look forward to seeing you all this summer, bringing in a celebration with baby girl on the way. So thank you so much for all of that. <clears throat> and, and if I forget anyone, I apologize. Thank you again just for being so amazing and thank you for making this breakout season a success so i mean my closing words to you all is just please just understand that love is the new money please take care of yourselves please share love spread love to everyone this fight that we fighting in like i said it's not an olympic it's a marathon not a sprint but that doesn't mean that necessarily it's an olympic and a competition between one group and the other please understand that the only competition that we need to be worried about right now is within our own homes and we need to be fighting against the oppressive systemic barriers that are in place the racism that is cancerous in our communities that affect us in so many ways that that inhibit us from reaching the potential that we are born to achieve the successes that we are supposed to attain that we do not get to attain and the dreams that are lost because of these 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 racist ways um so we need to take care of ourselves. It's not selfish to engage in self-care. As a matter of fact, consider it selfless. Because if you're good to yourself, you're good for yourself, you, uh, it allows you to be good to others. Um, it allows you to be the best for others. So take care of yourselves, protect yourselves, wear a mask if you're not vaccinated. At the very least, respect protocols, respect other people's wishes for you to be six feet away from them and, 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 and being spaces that allow them to be be outside not inside don't get mad about things like that like please let's be bigger than that let's let's go beyond that so with that being said i look forward to doing a lot more things next season i hope that you enjoyed this season and i and i plan for us to continue to take it to the next level every season so for the final time of season three the breakout season i'd like to conclude by just saying that my name is dr kalechi bay lamberts my black is transnational And now that we're at the end of this, I hope yours will be too. See you next season. Peace.